Hello, and welcome to the State of Working America podcast. I'm your host, Nick Kozlarich at the Economic Policy Institute, which is a nonpartisan think tank focused on ensuring workers' voices are heard in the economic policy debate. This August marks 60 years since the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave his iconic I Have a Dream speech. What is often forgotten, however, are the marchers' urgent economics demands, such as raising the minimum wage and building affordable housing. While the march and the civil rights movement succeeded in removing key barriers to equal rights under the law, a new EPI report shows that policymakers have failed to meaningfully address these economic demands, and as a result, racial economic disparities persist today. To discuss these findings and what policies are needed to truly achieve the dream of equity, I want to welcome Adewale Maye, Policy and Research Analyst for EPI's Program on Race, Ethnicity, and the Economy. Adewale, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to start by taking us back to the conditions that led to the March on Washington 60 years ago. Uh, what were the barriers that Black Americans specifically faced in the economy and in our democracy? Yeah, great question. Preceding the civil rights movement, the passage of civil rights legislation and the March on Washington, Black Americans were systemically excluded from many aspects of the economy. Unemployment was dangerously high. There was an abundance of discrimination based off race and gender. Wage theft was present, but wages were dangerously low. Just overall, there wasn't much equity or equality within the economy regarding Black Americans and other people of color. And what were the um, specific goals of the marchers? The March on Washington had very specific demands. One of the things that's probably very much overlooked within the March on Washington was it was also the March on Washington for jobs and freedom. So it was not only a march for civil rights, but also labor rights as well. Some of the things that they had mentioned was increasing the minimum wage and widening its coverage, intensifying efforts on behalf of the Department of Labor to secure commitments to unions and encourage an increase in Black membership, creating a million jobs in both public and private sectors within, I believe, three years, enacting a national comprehensive and enforceable fair housing law, expanding the supply of low-income housing, and also increasing work incentives and training, which include offering job training, providing daycare centers for children, and allowing recipients to retain a greater part of their earnings. I think that that many know that you know, following the march, there was a lot of landmark civil rights legislation that passed. There was the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Voting Rights Act of 1965 and the Fair Housing Act of 1968. In your research, you say that this legislation had an initial positive economic impact for Black Americans, but it wasn't sustained. Why do you think that is? In short, structural racism. I think that the civil rights laws were critical, number one, but pivotal in addressing barriers to access. But it fell short of implementing the equity and redressing some of the long-standing problems that we face as a result of the Jim Crow laws that were enacted as a result of slavery and structural racism as a whole. Um, so housing, for example, the home ownership rate is still higher amongst white Americans than Black Americans. 
in terms of the labor market, there is still a, I think, almost double unemployment rate difference between white Americans and Black workers, and a, a host of different things. In the report, I mentioned wages, even looking at things such as like voting rights access and things like that. A lot of the policies or, or buckets, I'll say, that the civil rights legislation was meant to address and that the organizers for the March on Washington wanted um, have yet to be fully realized only because of the, the legacy of structural racism and the long shadow it cast. And it will take you know, a lot more than, than a couple bills or, or even a, a plethora of bills to, to address this. I, I think it will take having a, a targeted and I guess more thoughtful, more intentional race conscious, a series of race conscious policies um, to truly redress um, some of these problems. And in your your report, you you talk about disparities in uh, wages and, and the wealth gap. Can you discuss these findings a little more and, and what you what you found in terms of has the the racial wealth gap narrowed? Um, has it stayed largely the same since you know the march on Washington? Um, has it gotten worse? Um, and the same goes for wages as well. I think that wealth is definitely tied to home ownership. It would be a disservice not to mention some of the uh, structural barriers to home ownership over time within the U.S., definitely due to the legacy of redlining, um, where policymakers had intentionally excluded Black Americans from owning homes in certain areas. Um, discrimination in terms of like uh, the valuation of homes or even going further back to 1930s where we look at the GI Bill where veterans were given homes or they were given very low rates for home mortgages or loans versus like Black veterans who weren't often given that, that benefit, that luxury. As a result, what we see is that these decisions have increased the gap or widened the gap rather for black homeowners and white homeowners. It's just a lot more difficult for black Americans to own homes and most of their wealth is retained within their homes. So as a result, because of the decisions to exclude black Americans from owning homes, we now see this two-tier level of inequity where wealth is also very much skewed. Um, in terms of have things gotten better, I mean, we're we're in a space now where, you know, many Black Americans have negative wealth. It, it, it's, it's very difficult to, to build wealth when it's something that, you know, houses and land are generational. People pass those down. So if, you know, one, two, three generations back, my family doesn't own land, then they don't have anything to pass to me. Whereas if you are, you know, a white American in this country, you are more likely to have land, you are more likely to have wealth. And that can be used for not only owning a home, but uh, investing in a business or, or, or whatever that could look like. It can be a safety net for, for these working families that 
you know, for many black people is not a reality. How can lawmakers, you know, fix these policy failures? What measures should they pursue to make King's dream a reality and, and achieve, you know, racial equity? I think you talked about this a little bit, but yeah, I would love to hear more of the systemic kind of policy changes that can be made to achieve equity. Yeah, I, I think to achieve racial equity and justice, policymakers must fix the policy failures that have perpetuated systemic disparities and identify policy measures that meet the size and specificity of the problem. So one of the things I had mentioned in my report was thinking about the lessons learned of the COVID-19 pandemic. It was a moment that not only this country, but the world was faced with, you know, a global economic, you know, downturn that, you know, put many, many jobs at risk, people's health was at risk. And within the US, Congress really had to come together in order to find the appropriate level of investment to meet the problem. So from that, we saw the CARES Act, we saw the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021, and we saw like, you know, we're going to ensure that workers have uh, emergency paid sick leave. We're going to invest in healthcare, education, infrastructure, um, and even offer financial support to workers. Um, all of these things were able to meet the need of the problem. And as a result, you know, today we can see the really great benefits to, you know, what those bills were able to accomplish and like delivering the U.S. out of that problem. I think similarly, we should be looking at structural racism in the exact same way. This is a, a, a very long-standing pandemic that risked the lives of millions. And as a result, we have to identify these vehicles. And, you know, I have certain buckets within the report where I'm looking at fair pay and equal employment. I'm looking at fair access to housing and wealth or basic rights and freedoms. And, you know, through that, I offer policy solutions such as reparations, you know, even stronger voting rights protections, one of the things that I had also mentioned and something that's a little bit timely now is just like, we definitely need to strengthen, you know, affirmative action laws. I, I know that's definitely something at risk right now, but something that's really important to ensure that workers are represented and that we have diversity within different industries, different organizations, different companies, even within our government. And ensuring that we also have like, you know, access to fair, affordable housing, ensuring that uh, there are protections for those who are looking to buy a home to not be discriminated against in terms of like house evaluations. The Biden administration has been working toward that as well through certain programs. So I think all of these kind of policy vehicles to attack like the historical impacts, these historical issues, whether we're looking at redlining or the impacts of Jim Crow or, you know, even the remnants of slavery through, you know, amending the federal labor standards law so that there are more stronger labor rights for that covers more workers, um, increasing the minimum wage to a livable wage so that workers can 
maintain uh, their economic security so that they can care for themselves and their families. All of these, all of these issues, I think, come together for one. And I think that the, the demands of the March on Washington provide a very important playbook for how policymakers can address these issues, but also look at ways in which we can improve as a country. Adewale, thank you again for talking with us today. Thank you. Thank you. And to read the report and learn more about the state of the economy for workers and their families, visit us at epi.org or follow us on social media on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, and Instagram. Thank you for listening to the State of Working America podcast.